Church family, if you grab your copy of God's Word, turn with me to Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus chapter 19, as we look at the Holiness Code this morning. I'm going to read verses 1 through 2. We're actually going to aim to preach the entire chapter this morning, minus a few verses. Verses 19 through 25. I'll be skipping over those. Hopefully it will become clear why as we get into the text. But we'll be looking at... I guess, Leviticus 19, 1 through 18, and 26 to 37, if you want to be particular about it this morning. Let me remind you that this is our family Sunday. Uh, Once a month, we invite our children uh, into worship with us, and I think it's a beautiful sound to have a church that's filled with children. Uh, And I want to remind you of that, and so it might be a little bit different. We might hear some some voices, though they're not in your head, although maybe they are. Um, And so, uh, but... Uh, if you have difficulty hearing over children, i got an easy thing for you. Just come to my house anytime, and I will train you on what it's like to have a conversation speaking over children. Uh, but um, I love our time together with our children. My, Leviticus 19, we're going to read verses 1 through 2. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel, and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, Am holy. First Baptist Church of Grey Gables, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures. Amen. Let's go to the Lord and thank Him for His word this morning. Gracious Father, we do, we do thank You for Your word. Specifically, we thank You for Leviticus 19. We confess that we live among a people who would be quick to toss it aside as irrelevant, as a vestige of the past that does not need to be resurrected for Your New Testament church. As something that has little power and little to say to us. Father, forgive us for misunderstanding your precious, inspired word. I pray this morning we would see clearly from this text. We would see that there is life and power here. By your grace, Lord, that people will be transformed this morning through the hearing of your word. We thank you for that and we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Okay, so Leviticus 19. For two weeks, we've really been talking about the differences between following the nation, nations and following the Lord in Leviticus 18. Today, one more time, we're going to kind of return back to that theme. Of course, another way of referring to not following the nations and instead following the Lord is with the term Holiness. Really, that's what holiness is. Remember, to be holy is to be set apart, to be distinct uh, for the Lord. And the holy king of the universe had recently rescued Israel from Egypt and brought them to himself at Mount Sinai in order to enter into a covenant relationship with them. He had become their God and they had become His people. They were now holy. Well, their holy king at the end of Exodus had just descended on the holy palace tent, the tabernacle. And at the beginning of Leviticus, that holy king was addressing his holy people through his holy servant Moses. In chapters 18 through 20 of Leviticus, the section that we're in, the Lord is explaining what that holiness will look like in their day-to-day lives. This is why these two chapters are often referred to as the holiness code. We've seen over the last two weeks 
that to be holy meant Israel was to be distinct specifically from the nations, that their lives together were to be marked by traits and characteristics that bore witness to their distinct role in the Lord's redemptive plan. And so really the big idea for this text this morning is simply this. Israel was to be holy for the Lord their God is holy. That's the big idea this morning. Israel was to be holy, for the Lord their God is holy. And you'll see this happens right at the beginning of our passage with an introductory statement in verses 1 through 2 that we already read. And we'll read it again. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. That serves as... The theme of Leviticus 19. I want to do this though. I want to look at this from a slightly different angle than maybe what we're used to. Because I think ultimately what Leviticus 19 is telling us and what we see here this morning is that holiness is by God with others for others. I know we're probably used to a definition of holiness that may not include that, but I think that this is what really Leviticus 19 is telling us, that holiness is by God with others for others. So let's dive into the text and we'll see it there. Uh, In chapter 19, uh, in verses 3 through 8 and 26 through 31, really they are about maintaining loving faithfulness to their covenant relationship to the Lord. You can just summarize those verses in that way. See, holiness is only conceivable with the context of a covenant relationship with the with Lord. This is the only conceivable place that holiness can exist. And so, I think it's fair to say that the prerequisite of holiness is a covenant relationship with the Lord. Uh, the prerequisite for holiness has to be, according to the Scriptures, a covenant relationship with the Lord. In fact, I think we see that very clearly in verse 3. Look at verse 3 with me. It says, Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father and keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Now, if, if we were just to read these, what we might see is what we've already seen this morning in our kids' time. Just a couple of Ten Commandments that are Reiterated. In fact, we might notice that very thing. But, but we might also think that there's somewhat unrelated, random commands just in the middle of nowhere. Right? Revering parents, keeping the Sabbath. But these two commandments are actually fundamentally related to one another. Ultimately, you could restate both of these commandments in this way. Keep my covenant in loving faithfulness. That's how you could, verse 3, just just write a note if it's not on there in your your bulletin already. Just write a note under A, verse 3. If you want to summarize verse 3, keep my covenant in loving faithfulness. That's what the Lord's saying in these two commands. Let me show you that in the text. We need to hear this specifically in our society. Mom and dad have always served as the fundamental building block of society. Always. Mom and dad are the most important structural unit in community as God has designed it. Mother and father in a marriage covenant. 
mom and dad actually were to be the primary teachers of the covenant to their children. So when we look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 7, it's no wonder that we read this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words, which I command you today, shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. The parents were responsible for teaching the children what it meant to be in a covenant relationship with the Lord. You see, Israel, in Israel, the kids weren't dropped off at Sunday school. The parents taught them. In fact, in Israel, the kids did not even receive their instructions directly from the priest. And listen to me, church. I firmly believe that God still intends for moms and dads to be the primary teachers of his word to their children. My job, listen, my job is not ultimately to instruct your children. Though I will say the part in the service that we do is one of my favorite parts in the service. In fact, you don't know this. I could really stay up here all day and ignore the rest of you, but that's not my call. My job is to instruct and equip you that you might be able to instruct and equip your children. So in the context of the ancient Near East and Israel specifically, to revere your father and mother was to revere the covenant. Don't miss the connection here. To revere mom and dad was to revere the covenant and to reject one's parents was to reject the covenant. That's clear. To revere mom and dad was to revere the covenant. To reject one's parents was to reject the covenant. Ultimately, it was to reject the Lord, to break covenant with him. Much like a child who's been raised in a Christian home, who has daily heard the gospel, who's been instructed in the ways of the Lord, and then leaves the home and does everything the parents have instructed them not to do. Ultimately, in that, they don't just dishonor the parents. There's a far more important truth at stake. They have rejected the Lord himself. They've rejected his new covenant promises. They have rejected Christ. And so the command to revere one's parents is coupled in our text in verse 3 with the command to keep the Lord's Sabbath. The command to keep the Sabbath confirms our hunch that to revere one's parents is really about keeping the covenant with the Lord. Why is that? Well, it's because the Sabbath was the sign of the Mosaic Covenant. That's what we see in Exodus chapter 31, verses 12 through 13 and verse 16. It says this in verse 12 of Exodus 31. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, Surely my Sabbaths you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. That is, I am the Lord who makes you holy. Verse 16, Therefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. 
The Sabbath was to the Mosaic Covenant what circumcision was to the Abrahamic Covenant. It was a sign. It was a seal. And just as circumcision identified one as a seed of Abraham, as a partaker of Abraham's covenant, likewise, keeping the Sabbath identified someone as belonging to Israel, being a partaker of the Mosaic Covenant. And so, to refuse to keep the Sabbath then was to break the covenant. It was to refuse the covenant sign. See, verse 3 is really about faithfulness to their covenant with the Lord. It was to revere one's parents and keep the Sabbath. was to keep the Lord's covenant and show Him loving faithfulness. Similarly, as we move on to verse 4, saying no to idols is the negative way of saying that Israel must keep the covenant and loving faithfulness as a prerequisite for holiness. Verses 4 through 8 can be summarized. Keep my covenant in loving faithfulness. Verse 4 restates the first and second commandments. Israel was not to have any other gods before the Lord. They were not to make idols or images. To do so was to break covenant with the Lord. It is, as we've seen in other places in Leviticus, adultery. It was unfaithfulness to Israel's faithful husband. In verses 26 through 31, on the other end of the paragraph, there are further examples of this unfaithfulness to the covenant relationship with the Lord. It was pursuing other means of power, worshiping something other than God Himself. Likewise, verses 5 through 8 exhorts Israel to demonstrate faithfulness to their covenant Lord. It's clear. Look, Leviticus 19, it's all about faithfulness, covenant faithfulness to the Lord. In fact, verses 5 through 8 are about the fellowship offering. You guys remember that? It's been a while. We've seen the fellowship offering in Leviticus, and so why does Moses bring it back up here in Leviticus 19 and none of the other offerings? Well, if you remember, it's because one of the primary purposes of the fellowship offering was to remember and celebrate the covenant. It was the one sacrifice, remember, that all Israel could eat from. They celebrated the covenant and they had a covenant ratification meal. And so we see from verses 3 through 8 and 21 through 36 that the prerequisite of holiness is a covenant relationship with the Lord. There is no holiness outside of a covenant with God Himself. They were being commanded to keep, as we have seen, this was a gift of God's mercy and grace. Don't miss this. The covenant with the Lord at Mount Sinai made them holy. It made them set apart. Listen, they didn't have to work to become holy. They they were as a people taken out of Egypt. And in doing so, they were brought to the Lord himself, entered into this covenant relationship with him, and were, by definition of the relationship with God, holy. And this is the only context in which holiness is possible. It's a necessary precondition of holiness. Man never makes himself holy. He does not set himself apart. It has never and will never happen. Their holiness was dependent upon the Lord. He's the one who had to initiate it and establish it. Now, now yes, as we saw a couple weeks ago, they had to maintain it. They did have to work at it. But ultimately, it was from him. And church family, this is, this is no less true today. Jesus Christ has redeemed His people from slavery to sin. He has made a new covenant for us. And so those who trust 
in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation, who repent of their sin, turn away from the world, and trust in Christ, those belong to God. They are made holy. We've been new creations in Christ. So look, friends, that, that, that's exciting. That means if you are in Christ, you are holy. We've been set apart for the Lord in Christ. We are holy because of our new covenant context. We are holy because of our new covenant context. It was the prerequisite for our holiness. By it, through it, and in it, we become the holy people of God set apart for Him. I listen, I, I know it goes without saying for most of us. I know that's, that's bare bones theology for most of us, but it but still bears repeating. Here's why. Because we're prone to, if not mentally, at least practically, act like we forget that we don't make ourselves holy. We are made holy by the grace of God. And so how do we respond? Same way they did. We respond by celebrating and remembering the new covenant. See, unlike Old Testament Israel, we do not need to maintain this covenant because it was established by the perfect obedience of Christ and ratified in the perfect precious blood of Jesus Christ. But we do, we do exhort one another to live like it. Now that's where the rest of Leviticus 19 goes. What does that look like to live as if this is true? To live as if we are made holy by the grace of God. What we see is ultimately, yes, the prerequisite of holiness occurs in a covenant relationship with the Lord. But the practice of holiness occurs in covenant relationship with others. So the prerequisite of holiness is, yes, your covenant relationship with God. But, but the practice of holiness, get this, is occurs in covenant relationship with others. These verses that go on after chapter uh, uh, 19, verse 2, what they do is they really explain now what holiness looks like on the ground. What holiness looks like in day-to-day relationships with other people. And if you've read through it, you've picked up ultimately the entire section, that is verses 9 through 18 and 32 through 36, can be summarized by what happens in verse 18. Did you recognize verse 18? Should sound familiar to us. It says, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The rest of these verses, all they're doing is they're really just fleshing out what that means. So Israelites love their neighbors, for instance, by not harvesting all their crops. They were not to be greedy for gain. But they were to be mindful of the destitute and disadvantaged in their mind. Israelites loved their neighbors by dealing with them with honesty and integrity. They dealt with them in honesty and integrity. So, so among the people of God, there could be no stealing, conniving, or misusing the Lord's name to deceive others. There could be no using false measures of length or weight to turn a profit. That had no place in the midst of the people of God. But Israelites were also to love their neighbors in another way. Israelites were to love their neighbors by treating those who were vulnerable with the same honesty or integrity as they treated their peers. They, they were made holy and they loved their neighbors by treating the vulnerable with honesty and integrity. There's a switch 
from verses 11 and 12 to verses 13 through 14. In 11 and 12, the reference point is my peer, my neighbor, someone of equal status. In verse 13 through 14, it's now commanding me to love my neighbor who may be beneath me in some way. There's a, there's a status differential. So they could not oppress their neighbor, not withhold wages from their employee. This is significant, especially for an employee who may have been living hand to mouth. Not receiving wages for a day might have meant not eating that day. Israelites could not curse the deaf just because they couldn't hear. Israelites couldn't cause the blind to stumble just because they can't see. Nor, if you look at verse 32, could they take advantage of the elderly elderly, simply because they lacked strength. An Israelite might be tempted to think they could get away with such things. The deaf isn't going to hear me curse them. The blind is not going to know that I tripped them. And what can an elderly person do against the strength of my youth? But the Lord warns them, fear me. For I'm the Lord and I hear everything. I see everything and I am strength. He's strong enough to avenge the vulnerable. And that application, therefore, should be clear for us. Church family, listen to me. There is nothing that we can do to one another that we ultimately get away with. Nothing. See, we're tempted to think that we can. But we need to know this. There is nothing I can say or do against my brother and sister that the Lord does not see and hear. Verses 15 through 16 Israelites also love their neighbors by maintaining a just legal system. So, no injustice in the courts. No partiality. Hear this, not just against the rich, but don't show partiality to the poor either. Not because justice is blind, but because justice is through the eyes of the Lord who shows no partiality. No slandering your neighbor. No bearing false witness. Verses 17 and 18. And finally, Israelites love their neighbors by not hating them in their hearts. That should sound familiar. This is, this is hate, by the way, that leads to action. It's hate that leads to vengeance and grudges. Instead, an Israelite was to be honest with his brother and seek reconciliation. And in these ways, Israel would love their neighbors as themselves. This is what it looks like on the ground. And this love was to be extended to all that weren't in Israel. It wasn't just for their kinsmen or their blood relatives. A stranger sojourning among them was to be loved in the exact same way as an Israelite loved another Israelite. This holy love that was to be demonstrated in Israel was not and could not be exclusive. Holy love can never be so narrowly defined. Their love was to imitate the love God had demonstrated towards them when he rescued them from Egypt. Love given freely and undeservedly. Of course they should love their kinsmen. Who doesn't? It's their own flesh and blood. Everyone does that. What should they gain? But they were also, listen, to love the strangers who were in their midst as a demonstration of the undeserving love and grace they had received from their Lord. It's hard to hear those words and not hear the words of our Savior Jesus Christ in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, right? But but here's the take-home point. For Israel, holiness is not simply an individual pursuit. It was necessarily relational. 
holiness for Israel is not simply an individual pursuit. It was necessarily relational. So the prerequisite for uh, holiness was a covenant relationship with the Lord. Yes. But the practice of holiness was in covenant relationship with others. The command was for Israel to be holy, and for the Lord their God was holy. But listen, those commands that fleshed themselves out did not involve, and this is key, when he says be holy, he doesn't follow it with, here's what holiness looks like for you. Do your quiet time. Get yourself a prayer closet. Go have some some self-time at a spiritual retreat somewhere. No. He says be holy... And holiness for Israel was demonstrated through their day-to-day relationships with other people. And church family, again, it is no less true for us today. Though it may be much harder in our individualistic culture. Remember what we already said about the new covenant context. The prerequisite of our holiness is the eternal covenant relationship that we have with God in Jesus Christ. But our practice of holiness... It's in covenant relationship with one another. How often do you view holiness like that? See, in our culture, we simply and only view holiness as our own individual pursuit, separate from other people. Friends, that's not even the way the New Testament pictures holiness. The testimony of the New Testament. Just turn to any of the great ethical passages in the New Testament. And what you'll find is a focus on holiness in community. It concerns our lives as a local church together. The New Testament really has less to say about how I grow myself in purity and much more to say about how we grow together in holiness. Just consider Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. Paul there, he's issuing a call to the church at Ephesus to not walk like the nations and instead put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. And then he says in Ephesians 4, 25, these words, listen to this. He says, therefore, putting away lying. Yeah, I need to work on my lying because it's for me. No, he says, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. That's Leviticus 19. Right there. Look at verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. That is, do not harbor hatred in your heart. Leviticus 19. I would actually point out about that verse. I know we we talked about this in our, our grow class. That verse actually is first and foremost about the community of believers... And not specifically about marriage. That's how we often apply it. It should be applied there, obviously. But it's also for the saints. So so listen, I I hear that because I, I hear in this verse a lot. We take that verse and as husbands and wives we say, well, we don't go to sleep angry with one another. That's great. Do you go to sleep angry at other church members? That's the covenant context right here. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. That means if somebody offends you, hurts you, does something to you, and you've got bitterness or anger, in the same way you might practice that with your spouse, you need to reach out to them and get right before you go to sleep. That's Leviticus 19, verse 27. Nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather, get this, let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Community. Leviticus 19. 
That is actually, let him not harvest his entire crop. Let him have an eye for the destitute and disadvantaged. It goes on. Look, Ephesians 4, 25 through 31 is Leviticus 19. Our holiness has to be worked out together. It cannot be worked out in isolation. But we've got to take this one step further. Because we've seen the prerequisite of holiness in the covenant relationship with the Lord. Yes. I know there's a lot of repetition, but as we say in our house, repetition is the mother of learning. That's my new favorite phrase in homeschool. Kids don't get it yet, but they will. We also seen that the practice of holiness is covenant relationship with others. In addition, though, and this is key, the purpose of holiness is the blessing of the covenant relationship for the nations. The purpose of holiness is a blessing of the covenant relationship for the nations. This actually might surprise you. But the, but the purpose of the Mosaic Covenant at Mount Sinai was never primarily the temporary blessings of the nation of Israel. Did you know that? The covenant in Israel itself always, always, always had as its goal the redemptive work of God in all of creation. See, Israel was set apart for the sovereign, redemptive purposes of God. Israel was set apart for the sovereign, redemptive purposes of God. The covenant of Israel was grounded in the promise to Abraham that God would bless all the families of the earth through him. The the holiness of Israel was actually part of that plan. The Lord was giving His people His holy law so that they might live as holy people in the midst among unholy nations. That Deuteronomy chapter 4 confirms this. Look at that text with me. It'll be on the screen, I believe, with us. Deuteronomy 4 verses 5 through 8 says, Surely, Moses speaking, I have taught you statutes and judgments just as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should act according to them in the land which you go to possess. Therefore, be careful to observe them. For this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who hear all these statutes and say... So they hear the statutes, they see Israel's holiness, and what do they say? Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us? For whatever reason we may call upon Him. And what great nation is there that has such statutes and righteous judgments as are in all this law which I set before you today? So so here's the plan. The nations were to see Israel and they were to recognize that there is something unique about the way they lived. That was the plan. The nations were, were to see the social workings of Israel and they were to be convicted of their own moral poverty and stand in the awe of God in Israel. Maybe even, maybe by God's grace, they would repent of their sins and come to believe in Israel's God. But, but we know that the closest, closest Israel ever came to living in a manner worthy of their calling was during the reign of Solomon. The nations did come to see Solomon's wisdom, didn't they? They flocked from the four corners to see Solomon's kingdom and hear Solomon's wisdom. But instead of the nations being converted, Solomon was converted. Well, church, we are holy. And listen, 
We're holy not first and foremost to enjoy some new status or improve our self-esteem or impress those who might care about our moral uprightness. Which, newsflash by the way, nobody cares anymore about moral uprightness. But listen, we are holy for the nations. In the same way, we are not made holy. We do not pursue holiness so that others would look at us and see us as great. We are holy. Why? So that the world would look at us and we'd have an opportunity to present them with the gospel of Christ. That's why you're made holy. Our holiness is supposed to be a beacon to the families of the earth. Our holiness is supposed to make our community, Callahan, Hilliard, Yulee, Bryceville, Jacksonville, see the evidence of the goodness and glory of God. It is supposed to create a longing for reconciliation for our Father. And please hear me, because there's two ditches. Obviously, we love this analogy. It's clear. There's two ditches as we consider holiness. There are two ditches, and most of the churches in our day are in the first ditch. This ditch is filled with cheap grace that scoffs at the pursuit of holiness as naive at best and self-righteousness at worst. I mean, really, you want to pursue holiness? You want to be holy? You're holier than thou, Christian, aren't you? The church propagates this kind of idea that to pursue holiness is naive because you'll never make it. So why even try? And if you do, well, then aren't you self-righteous? That's most churches today. Some in today's churches, however, are in the second ditch. And this ditch equates holiness with an individual pursuit of perfection or the church's real separation from the world. That my holiness only has to do with me and not anybody else, not particularly the local church. That ditch is filled often with legalism. That scoffs at those who try to continue to engage the world. Friends, we will avoid both of these ditches when we remember the three things that Leviticus 19 teach us. So consider this part a review and a conclusion. When we remember first, holiness is only possible in the context with a covenant relationship with the Lord. Only possible. In our case, an eternal covenant with God in Christ. A prerequisite of holiness. God makes us and keeps us holy, therefore we worship Him. For as Paul reminds us in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, If we are faithless, and we are, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. That's the first thing we must remember. Second, holiness must be practiced and worked out in covenant relationships with other people. Again, Paul explains here what real holiness looks like in Ephesians 4. He says, Speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So we've seen worship. You are made holy because of your covenant relationship with God in Christ. Therefore, you worship. We also see grow right here. Our covenant relationships are where we practice our holiness. Growing together in Christ is holiness. Our holiness together, church, 
is dependent on one another. Listen to this. Do you know this? My holiness is dependent upon your holiness. And your holiness is dependent upon my holiness. Justin's holiness is dependent on our holiness, which is really good for us, by the way. And our holiness is dependent upon Justin's holiness, which is the best. All of our holiness, every one of us, each other, we are dependent on the grace of God in Christ poured out into our spirit by the Holy Spirit. This is so important. You know why? This, this fights immediately at the idea of a consumeristic church. The idea that you could walk into a building, listen to a nice motivational talk, and then walk out to your own life without any need for the people next to you is completely and utterly unbiblical according to the New Covenant context. That's not a church. You know what a church does? A church practices holiness together. That's what the local church does. You could say, a church worships, a church grows. Third and finally, holiness. Holiness cannot be ultimately about us. 1 Peter chapter 2, I read this last week, but I'm going to read it again. Verse 9 says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who were once not a people, but now are the people of God, who had obtained mercy, but who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. And then Peter says, For this reason... Because of this, verse 11, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul. See, look, what I've just read is the context of holiness in what God has called us and done in calling us out of darkness into light by showing us mercy. That's the context. We are to respond to that by pursuing holiness together. Why? Look at verse 12. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. It's not about us, friends. Your holiness isn't about you. It's about you serving the nations. So we've seen very clearly... Right? The prerequisite for our holiness is in a covenant relationship with the Lord. Therefore, we worship... The practice of our holiness is in covenant relationship with one another. Therefore, we grow. And the purpose of our holiness is so that the nations would know of the covenant God made with them in Christ. And so, we serve. That's your pursuit of holiness. And so, okay. If if I've made my point to you clearly enough, friends, what does it look like in your life to pursue holiness, I would say worship, grow, serve. Let's stand together as we pray. Gracious Father, we confess corporately that we are often tempted to make it about us. Lord, that We're often tempted to pursue holiness alone, at home, in our rooms, and measure our holiness by individual terms and goals that have nothing to do with how well I love my brother. So, Father, we pray for forgiveness. 
we pray for a constant reminder that we are holy only because you have made us holy in Christ. We are partakers of that new covenant in which and by which we have received every spiritual blessing in your Son. Lord, we pray that we would pursue one another in love in this covenant community. That relationships would be built that would stand in stark contrast to the relationships of the nations. Father, would you grant us grace to do so? And would you be pleased to redeem your people, save the lost, call them unto yourself through our testimony of faith in you? We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Let's sing this hymn of response together.